Okay, continuing in the book of James, I'm about to finish chapter 1. So so tonight we'll look at verses 19 through 25. Let me just go ahead and read, read those verses and then we'll talk about them. So, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, so the first three verses deal with with sort of listening well, being discreet with their tongues, and being slow to anger in general. And, and you could say in a in a more pointed sense, uh, hearing and receiving the Word of God. So let me just read those again. And these, these are some very, um, I would imagine for all of our lives, these are some very significant verses. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, James is speaking by the Holy Spirit to his beloved flock and, and he says, know this. So there's really something he's wanting to emphasize. He's, this is like, take note, don't miss this. Get, get these points I'm about to make. And for me, this passage in particular is, is life-changing. Um, and, and it's really because I've had a problem with this kind of thing, as I'll explain. Um, but I have grown over the, over the years in my ability to cr- control my tongue, but it has just been very slow, very slow growth in this. So going way back, as far back in my life as I can remember, I've been one that has had very strong convictions, very strong passions, but in those, if, you, if someone has tweaked one of those convictions or has challenged me on, in one of my passions, I have tended to go on sort of prolonged talking rants um, that involve lots of words and little, a little listening, not much listening, and sometimes to anger which would be like the anger of man. And so this has happened in Bible studies, uh, meetings at work, uh, casual conversations, uh, and even family dinners, unfortunately. And, um, and often, and maybe some of you will relate, um, but it's sort of like the lizard brain thing I was taking, talking about last week, is 
when you get in that mode of just talk, 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 uh, you go a little bit nutso. Your, your cerebral cortex uh, malfunctions. And the tendency is then for people that are people that are there to experience that, some of them might get aggravated, uh, they might get their feelings hurt, or you might have a whole, whole group that sort of has that deer in the headlights look where meaningful conversation is completely shut down. And I, uh, it, probably the worst case of this I can think of is with my mom who uh, is an absolutely dear woman who's one of the, honestly, is probably the best servant I've ever known. And, um, but she had a, um, had or has a very, um, I would say almost opposite political perspective from me. And so I can think of, I can think of numerous times growing up where in, in some, maybe in some election time or some acute time when I was really stirred up about it, she made some comments and I sort of did that, that talking thing with her that was disrespectful and, and frankly probably kept me from gaining some wisdom that I had, could have gotten if I just listened to her. And in those cases, um, one of the things that happens is, and, and again, hopefully you can relate to this, but we, we pull out righteous indignation. It is, um, it's, it's sort of a, it's expressed righteous anger, so in a, in a political sense it might be, don't you know how much that hurts people? Are you kidding me? Those handouts are just going to destroy people. You know, that, that idea. Um, so thankfully I don't care that much about politics anymore. At least I don't let it, let it control my passions in, in some ways like I used to. But, but other things have replaced that in recent years. So having a wellness business, I'm very passionate about elements of nutrition. And so, and for example, is anyone a vegan here, anyone into a low-fat diet? That don't, don't, yeah. Um, and, you know, another one is, is, is as again, I think it's probably most, most of y'all know, is biblical counseling. Um, and I'll say more about that in just a minute. But, um, and then other theological issues, just other passions that have come up, so that it still tempt me to talk too much, listen too little, go to anger. And the sad part about this is that that it's a perversion of my true gifting. And so the Lord has gifted me with a good mind, with intellectual curiosity, with an actual enjoyment of reading and researching, studying, that sort of thing. And then with an ability to connect dots, to connect disparate dots that many people don't see or notice. And so Satan, doing his judo thing, takes those good gifts and pulls them into something bad, or at least tries. And so many of you, again, I, the, the biblical counseling thing, many of you have heard me talk about it, but what I'm about to say is going to come from a different angle. So don't, don't turn off. This isn't just pull the string and same old, same old. But I, um, I got interested in biblical counseling in the early 90s in the context of a medical practice where I saw people hurting emotionally, depression, anxiety, the whole gamut of things, and initially referred people to Christian counselors who I ultimately found, I just had to find from experience, were not giving Christian counsel. 
they were given worldly counsel with some, some Bible verse uh, things thrown in and some Christian language thrown in. And so, and, and, I, and worse than that, and that, that probably isn't really what alerted me. What alerted me is that I saw lives going down the tubes, people getting more self-centered, self-focused, navel-gazing, that sort of thing. And so I went on a quest for what, what is, what, how do we counsel people as Christians? What, what constitutes legitimate, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring counsel? that change lives the way discipleship does. And so I read a lot, I attended conferences, ultimately ended up bringing one biblical counselor and then a second one into our practice, and even established a biblical counseling training center. And I would talk almost obsessively about biblical counseling. Well, not almost, actually obsessively. So. So how, how do you think Satan would approach something like this? How, do you think maybe he'd get together with his demons, his minions, and say, hey, let's, let's try to distract Randy. Let's get him to forget about this. No, that, that ain't going to happen. So what, what's he going to do? Well, pr- probably something like this. Let's get Randy and his zeal to bowl people over with words, listening poorly and sounding angry. Right? So quick to speak, slow to listen, quick to anger. And I can testify that this was his approach, and he often, I often went there. I often followed Satan in that path. So my, my discussions of biblical counseling would often include anger, and really the, what I would call the anger of man. So let me just give you an example of what that might look like. So... Imagine that um, I've got a friend, Bill, and he and his wife are having some marital difficulties. And he's talking to me about it, sharing with me about it. And they're, 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 at least she's getting into counseling. And so he sort of tells me his concerns. So now, now picture that I get home from work and I, I want to talk to Jean Ann about it. So, so, I, so I come in and I, I say, hey, hey Jean Ann. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Bill and Sherry, and they're, they're, they're friends of ours, Bill and Sherry are. Uh, so, so Sherry's in counseling, as you know, and um, she's doing it by herself. She won't, Bill says she won't bring him alone. Some kind of mumbo jumbo about uh, that she's working on her deep issues, says he's not safe to be around, that he's got control issues. The counselor gave her the book Boundaries. Now, can you believe it? She, she already has more me time and girlfriend time than anyone we know. Now, granted, Bill, by his own admission, has been a bit controlling, but he, I, I mean, we've talked about it. I, I've talked to him about it, and he realizes it's from insecurity. And it really, I know him as well as anyone, and he's a softie at heart. So he's not, he's not being mean to her, at least nothing that I've ever seen. Anyway, we know where this is going. The next step is going to be a trial separation and then divorce. I've seen it once. I've seen it a thousand times. And poor Bill, he, he, uh, he's like a deer in the headlight. He, just, he, he doesn't see this coming. And, and honestly, I am sick and tired of this Trojan horse called Christian counseling. 
How many lives and marriages are we going to be destroyed? It's terrible. All right, well, Pastor James writes, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So have I just expressed the anger of man or truly righteous anger? Well, I, I can tell you, and I tried to make it obvious, that it, it's, that's the anger of man. It's worldly anger. Because what am I doing? I'm, I'm speculating. I'm making assumptions based on previous experience. I'm, I don't know for sure that this is moving towards separation and divorce. I don't know the heart of the counselor, and I really I haven't talked directly to Sherry about this. I've just talked to Bill. I've just heard one side of it. I'm basically venting, you could say even gossiping, and it's not a constructive discussion. It's not a discussion that gives grace to those who hear. So let, let me try uh, let me try this to do this in a better way. Okay, so same same scenario. I, Bill talks to me about it, and I, I say, look, Bill, I, thanks so much for sharing, and I want to I wanna help you with this if I can, um, but I, I need to hear from Sherry, too, and um, do you mind if I talk to Jean-Ann about it, since her, her and Sherry are really close? She tells me yes, so on my way home, I pray, and I ask God for wisdom. I say, Father, I want to communicate with, this Jean, with Jean-Ann about this in a way that will get her wisdom and help her talk to Sherry, and maybe, maybe both of us together can help with this situation. Would you just give me wisdom, Lord? So I get home, and, and I say, hey, honey, I, uh, I had a concerning talk with Bill this morning. Sherry's in counseling, as you know, and, and he's very concerned about the direction it's going. He feels like she's being actually being pulled away from him rather than toward him. And she really respects you. Would, you. would you just pray about this and consider talking to her about it, see if she'll open up? Uh, I, I told Bill um, to let her know that he talked to me about it so we won't be doing this behind her back. So what are your thoughts on it? You don't have to answer. <laughs> um, so so let, let's, let's pray for them and that they both attend to the logs in their own eye that they quit judging each other and that they really look to Jesus asking him for grace in their marriage, just as, as both you and I need to do every day. Okay, you think that's a little better? All right, so James continues, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant, wick- and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So he says filthiness and rampant wickedness. That, that to me, when I first read that, it seemed like kind of extreme words for this particular subject. Because I, I would think, you know, I think more of like sexual sin and that sort of thing when you use those kind of words. But what do you think James is doing? What do you think he's doing using that kind of language here? Well, I think if I apply it to a situation like I just described, um, that where I'm passionately ranting about something, dominating a conversation, listening poorly, showing anger, what, if, I, if I'm doing that, if, if, if you are doing that, what do you, what's going on inside? What is your motive? What, do you, what are you feeling about the situation? What, what are you, right, what are you thinking inside? 
And I would say it might be something like this. Now, it could be all sorts of things, but maybe something like this. Look at me. I'm the great crusader, dying on the rampart, defending biblical truth and, and godly counsel. Look at me, you know. So it's self-righteous pride. And it's the most blinding kind of pride imaginable, right? It's the pride of the Pharisee. And, and so when we're engaged in that, when we're doing something like that, we, it's literally almost impossible to see your own sin when you're really beset with it. And so it truly is filthy and wicked. And, and really, we, 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 need some, we need some kind of stark word, some kind of stark reminder to be yanked out of that. And it's, it's in this language, the way, the way James is describing this, it's, it's much like in Ephesians 4 where Paul says, put off the old, put on the new. It's like putting, taking off an old nasty set of clothes. So, so we, we need to take off that old nasty suit of clothes and replace it with something fresh and clean. So, so repent, put away your worldly anger, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So, so humble yourself. Receive God's word. He says the implanted word. The implanted word. Um, and some, some would say this is, this is strictly the gospel. But, you know, he's talking about, he's talking to believers. All right, so I think he's talking about the gospel plus. I think he's really talking about the whole word of God as it applies to a particular situation undergirded with the gospel. In other words, always with Jesus Christ in mind. So, so to me, the implanted word is the word that God, that the Holy Spirit implants in us uh, through salvation, through initial salvation, understanding the gospel, but then through reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. And he says it's able to save your soul. So what, when you're talking to a believer, and when you say this word is able to save your soul, what are you, what are you talking about? Because in one sense, they're already saved, Right? Well, it's the, it's the sanctifying power of the Word. It's that power of the Word that carries you on to salvation. It's what Paul in Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is talking about. I'll just read that. Um, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you but to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, it's the sanctifying power of the word. It's working out your own salvation as God works in you. So a passage that I would think would be a good candidate for implanting in this particular, in the situation I've described in my own life, is Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. You might be familiar with these words, but let me just read them. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God 
in Christ forgave you. Okay, so, so we've been talking about listening well, about hearing the word, and now, now James takes it a step further. So, so let me listen to the next, next few verses. He, he's going to tell us now that we, we, in, we've heard the word, now we need to make sure we're not deceived, but that we become doers of the word. So he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Well, and you remember how we talked about James sounding more like Jesus than any other biblical writer. And this is certainly an example of that, right? Because remember, Jesus was a man of action. He was a man of action demanding obedience. And let me just read toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount a couple of his, his statements in that regard that, that are very much consistent with James' admonition to be doers of the word. Jesus, this is Matthew 7, 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then, then Jesus speaks of the blessing of obedience and the curse of disobedience. So again, the blessing of obedience, much like James mentions in verse 25. So he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So, so James here, um, he gives a striking example of what it looks like to be a hearer and not a doer. So think for a minute, um, what, what do you do when you uh, look in the mirror in the morning and you look at your face in the mirror and your hair is really messed up? You get out, you get out the Dapper Dan, put some product in your hair, get it looking good, right? Do you, do you, do you comb it a little bit and maybe spray some hairspray and get it straight? Uh, I, this caused me to remember when I was in junior high and I had that hair parted in the middle with kind of the wings on either side. and. I'd, look, I'd get up in the morning, one side would be flat, so I'd have to get a comb with water in the, in the blow dryer and you know, really get it looking good. But, so so most, the point is, is that most of us, if we look at the mirror and see our hair messed up, we, we just go ahead and fix it, at least. If it's just looking really bad, maybe we're not obsessed with our appearance, but at least if it's looking bad, we kind of fix it. But say you get distracted and you, you go on out, go to work, and you just sort of look weird all day. 
So people are like, look, Stephen's having a bad hair day. Unless he's got a hat on, maybe. <laughs> but so, how silly would that be to have looked in the mirror, you've seen, you've seen your bad hair, you, you should just fix it, right? That's again, that's the natural thing to do. And that's sort of what Paul is calling it, or James is calling out here. So say in the morning in your quiet time, you're in the Word, you're meditating on the Word, and you see something in the Word that is that just calls you out. It shows you in the mirror. It shows the mirror. It puts a mirror up to your life, right? And you realize I'm not, I'm not there. I'm convicted about that. That's an attitude. It's a behavior. It, whatever it is, I'm convicted about it. And. And I would say, like we often do, we're convicted, but then we get busy and we go out and we fail to act. First Corinthians 13 is one that always particularly gets me, and I would imagine for most of you, that's true. So say I read it and I uh, I get convicted, and um, about some behavior, some hard attitude. So so perhaps I've. Uh, I've been impatient, yet the word says love is patient. I failed to properly encourage my employees, and the word says love is kind. I'm dwelling on the past, ruminating on something that's, that I perceive slight by someone, and the word says love is not resentful. So, so I want. So, if I if I see this in the Word, if I see this mirror of myself, this picture of myself in the Word, I want to change it. So, so what do I do? Well, well, I wear this rubber band around my wrist, and um, so every time one of those situations comes up, I just oh, I pop myself with it. <laughs> So a violation comes up, I've not been patient, I, oh, bad Randy. <laughs> it just really, see, G-Nan wants to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Omen, okay, Stephen, Beth, yeah. So each time, it just helps me to remember. Now, do y'all think I really do that? Is, that? is that what we do? No. No, let me read verse 25. Um, sort of the opposite of that. Verse 25 says, um, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He'll be blessed in his doing. So he's talking about the law of liberty. That sounds almost like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It's, how, how does law and liberty go together? But certainly we don't, we don't have to self-flagellate. We don't have to be, beat up ourselves. And so, so the law of liberty, it, it shows me my sin, and then it allows me to come to the throne of grace and ask for help and then persevere by faith. Did you see that? Did you see the, the faith part there? It says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. So, so the law of liberty is, you could make any number of analogies, but it's like, 
it's like a train on train tracks. So, so the so the train is going to run smoothly as well as long as it stays on the tracks, and as long as the conductor doesn't turn left when he's told to turn right. The law of liberty is is put there by God um, such that we can walk in Christ's easy yoke, right? So that we can walk with Jesus in the way he would have us walk and please him. And so when we're, when we're thinking about, when, we, when the word shows us something about ourselves and we see the need to change it, we're motivated by, we're driven by what? We're driven by faith. So we're driven by a vision of what Christ has done for us, but even more than that, we're driven by a vision of what he will do for us by, by trusting his promises. Right? In this case, again, trust in this idea that the doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. And, and so, so what we're doing is we're fully convinced by faith that Jesus is good, and that he's saving a blessing for us. He has a blessing for us in heaven, and that as we follow his law, it's the way things ought to be. It's, it's how our life is supposed to work. Again, it's walking in Christ's easy yoke. So, let's pray. Father, uh, Father, thank you for this, um, this beautiful passage, uh, short passage, which... Um, has something I would think for all of us. I, Father, I'm thinking about how, um, how if we would apply this, um, uh, this, this idea of being slow to speak, uh, quick to hear, slow to anger, uh, and that in that we would apply that to your word especially, Father, and then that we would think about, by faith, being doers of your word. Um, how that would change our lives, that would change our fellowship, that it would make us salt and light and make us contagious in the community. And Father, I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.